a pat on your back. You survived Christmas. You survived getting together with the family. You survived that weird aunt's dish that she brings every year to the Christmas festivities. And you're not sure what's in it, but you have to eat it anyways because your mom taught you to be polite. And you don't know if you were going to make it this year without throwing up, but you did. You survived whatever that was. Congratulations. You survived the, the temper tantrums from your kids who aren't in school. But can we all get an amen that they go back to school this week? All right? All God's people said, amen. All right. You survived the car ride or the flight back from wherever you were visiting. You did it. And now, like Christina pointed out, we move into a new year. We enter into a, a new trip around the sun. This is the time where we get out our new calendars and we make to-do lists. And we set up our goals for the year 2024. If you're like Christina, you have to make a special trip to Target to get all the, the calendars and new pens and notepads and things like that. So this is what we're, we're doing right now. We are setting up expectations. Right? We're, we are starting to set our expectations for the new year. Right? We cannot wait to get started uh, on the new year. We cannot wait for what this, this year will bring. And we're excited about what is to come down the pipeline. Right? These, these last few hours before uh, the new year, we have the expectation that's bubbling inside of us, and it's almost exploding. Now, if we're, if we're honest, I think a lot of us, we love expecting. We, we, we love to expect, and we love to, to look forward, and we love to dream about what is next. I know that's true for me. In fact, some of you may love expecting or waiting for something so much that someone may have gifted you a, a gift of the month type of club subscription. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Right? There's, uh, check this out. Right? For, for $50 a month, Right, $50 a month, you can sign your loved one up for the Bacon of the Month Club. Right? And what this does is that you receive not one, right, but two one-pound artisan bacon slabs every month in the mail. Right? Did you hear that? Right? Not one, but two pounds of artisan bacon every month for the rest of your life or as long as that person has decided that they're going to gift that to you or love you that much. <laughs> right? there, there's all types of clubs. There's the, the pickle of the month club. Yeah. All right, some of you are excited about that. I don't know. All right, there's the, the pickle of the month club. There's the, even the, the PB&J of the month club. Right? Just think of the expectation, the hope, the excitement that you can give for Christmas as your parents or as your kids or as your siblings check every day for their gourmet peanut butter and jelly to come and arrive in the mail. I mean, let's just zoom out here and be real for a minute, Foundry. What a world we live in. <laughs> Right? I mean, just what a world that we live in where there can be a bacon of the month club, a peanut butter and jelly of the month club. Right? It got me thinking about expectations and hope. A few years ago, the news, they told the story of Charles McKinley's attempt at another approach, kind of similar, another approach to surprise and to lean into expectations of this season. And so this is what he did. And I don't recommend this. 
but he shipped himself in a wooden crate from his home in New York to his parents' home in Dallas, Texas. Now, somehow, old Charles McKinley actually made it to his parents' home. But the final delivery man, the actual mailman, saw Mr. McKinley through a crack in the crate, and he called the police. Now, unfortunately, Foundry Church, he was arrested for other outstanding warrants that had nothing <laughs> related with this. That's, that's a different illustration. But look, right? look at this. The promise of a new year is a time of great expectation. Right? It's, it's, it's delivering, it's gifting, it's, it's a new year, new, new responsibilities, new tasks, new things to do. It's a gift of expectation. And as the expectation builds, as we prepare for the, the ball to drop in a few hours, it occurs to me that the vast majority of our lives are filled with waiting. They're filled with waiting and preparation, while only a fraction of our life is filled with actual experience, celebration, or doing stuff. Right? Consider the, the Christmas meal that many of us enjoyed this last week. Right? Just, just ask yourself, or whoever cooked it, how long did it take to prepare it? Right? Now ask yourself, how long did it take to eat it? Right? Or think about those presents that were under the tree. How long did, did it take you to find just the right presents for that right person and then to get them home and then uh, to actually wrap them? How long then did it take to actually gift them and unwrap them? Quickly. What about all those, those Christmas pageants and plays and concerts and, and ballets? A lot of preparation, a lot of practice, running here, running there, but then just a quick performance. Listen, we're, we're always preparing and expecting no matter what we're doing. So if we stop to think about it, we shouldn't really be surprised that life is filled with so much more preparation and expecting than actually doing because look, I'm jumping here, Tyler, so follow along. In some ways... Preparation is the doing, right? Preparation is the doing. In fact, preparation is often the point, right? So get this. I want you to lean in here real quick, Foundry Church, and I want you to write this down, or I want you to take a picture of the screen if you, if you can, but, but get this, right? I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that our short time on earth is, is more about preparation for eternity in heaven than what we accomplish or do on this earth, right? In fact, the best of, uh, the best use our time on earth, the best way to use our time on earth is to forge our lives on becoming more like Jesus and to help others to do the same, right? To be a disciple who makes disciples, right? So are, are you catching what I'm throwing down? Look at it like this, right? The most important part of this life right now is preparing for what happens next. Preparing for what happens next. In fact, if we look at our Bible, we will see that from almost the very beginning of, of human's existence, God's people have been preparing. We've been expecting. We've been waiting in anticipation of what happens next. So if you have your Bibles, real quick, we're just going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And, and we're not going to stay there. We're going to go later into the New Testament. 
But I want you to look at this verse because this is one of the key verses uh, in the entire Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those Bibles with you. They're free for you to have, to use, to take, to give away. They're free. So Genesis, very first book of the Bible, so right at the very beginning, chapter 3, verse 15, says this. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right? In your Bibles, you're going to want to underline that verse. You're going to want to put an asterisk next to that verse. Because right there, from the very first sin, right, this is after the very first sin, God has been pointing his people toward a future. Let me explain. He's been pointing them towards something to look forward to. He, God's been, from the very beginning, from the very first sin, from the very first moment as humans, we missed the mark. He's preparing us humans for something to prepare for to actively wait for, right? The one who would defeat Satan, right? This, this verse is what scholars call the protevangelism, right? Big word, all right? You're going to sound smart, right? The protevangelism, actually, all right? I said it wrong the first way. I put hyphens in there. All right, protos is the Greek word for first. Evangelion, right? Evangelium means good news or gospel. So the protevangelium is what most followers believe to be the first declaration of the gospel. This is the first time we are given hope. Right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse, verse, verse 15. The first time we see the gospel, years before Jesus is born. Ye- thousands, all right, years, right? The first inclination that we should be preparing for something great, that we should be waiting with anticipation and action is right there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right? And from the moment of the first sin onward, the entire Old Testament prepares and points us to this great moment, This thing we're waiting for, this great moment when a Savior, our Savior and Messiah, comes to save us from the curse of sin. So it's from the very first sin until Christmas, right? Like we celebrated last week. You see it right there, the the law and all the, the temple sacrifices, everything in the Old Testament is showing us our need for a Savior, the, the slavery of the Israelites, the, the sorrow of the Israelites, the point to the bondage that we all face before we acknowledge our Savior's arrival. The prophets, they, they looked and they longed for our Messiah's coming, for, for their Messiah's coming, for a Savior to come. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah was inspired by God to look forward to his birth, right? It's just a continuing of this. Micah uh, chapter 5, verse 2 says this. I'm just going to read it for you. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judea, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Right? The, the one from the ancient times, Foundry Church, from Micah is writing about, has more than 100 different names in the Bible. 
Right? So the, from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, from the very first sin until uh, all these prophets, all the Israelites, everybody, all these, they're talking about the coming of a Messiah. And this Messiah has a lot of names. He's called the Alpha and the Omega, the Word of Life. He's the bright morning star. He's the light of the world. He is I Am, right? He's the Ancient of Days. He's Jesus. If he was a professional athlete in today's world, we would say he is him. All right? You know that the thing, right? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. From the very beginning, our creator, our father, God says, there's going to come a moment when there's a Messiah and a Savior, a king, God in the flesh, God the Son, who's going to come and rescue you. And today, we're going to talk about two people who were waiting who knew this, and they were waiting, preparing with action for Emmanuel. So again, in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be. So now Luke is in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament. Use the table of contents if you need to. Luke chapter 2, that's the big two. And we're going to look at uh, verses 22, or starting in verse 22. So that's the little 22 uh, of that chapter. All right, as you're turning there, we're actually going to pick up after the birth of Jesus, after the first Christmas, so it lines up with where we are right now, with our calendar year. And let me remind you that the book of Luke was written by, you guessed it, Luke. Right? It was his account of who Jesus was, his gospel account. It was written by Luke, and Luke, it's important to know, was a doctor, a medical doctor, not just a PhD, right? He was also not a, a Jew. So, so he wrote the story of Jesus' life for people who may not necessarily kind of know everything about the coming and the expected Messiah. They may not have heard all of those prophets that were pointing to a Messiah like Micah. They may not know Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and the importance of that single scripture. Right? And so, so let's look at what he says. You, we'll, we'll pick up on what he means, or what, what he means by, by kind of sharing some details with us. Luke chapter 2. Verse 22 through 24, it says this. It said, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. All right, verse 24 says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right, just stop right there. We'll be right back. So let me explain what is going on here. Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple in accordance with their Jewish law. Right? They are commanded to bring Jesus after he was born, eight days after he was born, to the temple. And that's what they're doing. And since Luke is writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience, to a Gentile audience, that's what Gentile means, we can see that Luke includes clarifying details to explain what is happening and why it is happening. All right? Luke brings in Leviticus 12. That's the law which they're referring to, in which the law of God states that Mary and Joseph are obeying at that moment. Right? They're, they're obeying Leviticus 12. The law stated that the parents were to present their child to the Lord. Now, this presentation was to, to be after the mother's purification, which would be about seven days after birth, 
And then on the eighth day, the child would be circumcised and named. All right, so, so Luke tells us this in verse 21. And then following the eighth day, Mary was to continue her purification for 33 more days. Once that time was complete, she, she could enter into the temple or, or anything holy. Like she could come back into society, if you will. Right, on that day, the, the parents should bring a sacrifice. Right? A, a lamb for some, uh, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons that they could not afford a lamb to bring a lamb to the temple. One sacrifice was a burnt offering, and then the other sacrifice was a sin offering that the priest would make an atonement for the mother. Right? So that's what's happening in Luke, Luke chapter 2. Right? We're, we're reading there. This is, all this stuff is taking place. So if Luke is writing this to non-Jewish people, why would he include all this information? Right, all these details, all these religious things, right? What's the big deal? Right, the Apostle Paul said this in Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read it for you. Right, he says, the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians about Jesus' birth. So this is after Jesus was, you know, went back up into heaven. He went to the cross, came out of the grave, went back up to heaven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, right? Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Paul is telling us specifically that Jesus was born under the Jewish law. They did everything correct, right? They, he was born in the right way according to the Jewish laws, meaning that his life on earth was bound to the details of the Old Testament law. I know I'm harping on this. I'm making a big, a big thing about this, but it's important to realize this, that Jesus was born under the Old Testament law. But also, Jesus, we know, will redeem those under the law by ratifying the new covenant through his blood. That's what Paul's explaining. So we can be adopted as sons. Right? The, the presentation of Jesus in the temple is one of many times that Jesus will follow the law so that... He can complete the law, right? It's why we take communion on Sundays instead of bringing turtle doves and goats in here, right? <laughs> right? He, he completed the law. He brings in a new law. He's the ultimate sacrifice with his, his blood, which represents a new covenant, and his body, which was shed and broken right? his, the, for us. Right, Mary and Joseph's obedience to the law of God is astounding. Right, and never once did they think that they were beside the law. Oh, yeah, we had an angel come to us, Gabriel. Like we're we're bigger than the law. Right, they, they never thought they were above the law. They never they never even entertained that idea. No, they continue to obey the law until the law is changed by the king. The King of Kings, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. Now, now that we have a little background, let's, let's look at this, right? A little background that explains the actions of Mary and Joseph in the temple. Let's keep reading. Verses 25 is where we left off. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the chosen one. Right? Who do you anoint? anoint? You anoint a king. Right? So he would not die until he saw King Jesus. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom and of the law, right? he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation they have prepared in the presence of all that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33 simply says this it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Right? And verse 35 says, And a sword will pierce through his own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, And then there was a prophetess, Anna, right? the daughter of Phanil, and the tri- from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years uh, from, uh, from when she was a virgin. So she was a young widower, right? And then as a widow until she was 70, uh, 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. Verse 38 says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So first... Real quick, we are told about an old man named Simeon, and at the end of the text, we're told about an old woman, right, named Anna, right? Just as a side note, my my wife's sister, uh, uh, Diana, and my brother-in-law, Theo, they have two children. They're named Simeon and Annie, because she didn't really like Anna, And, and when we talked to them this week, you know, wishing them a Merry Christmas over the phone, I said I was preaching on them on Sunday, technically, and they said they wanted a royalty fee, so I don't... I don't know about that, but, but according to verse 26, it, it's been revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he sees the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Christ. And so when Jesus was brought to the temple, just Mary and Joseph walking in, minding their own business, Simeon was moved by the Spirit to come also, right? And Simeon immediately recognized the child, Jesus, and takes him into his arms, and he blesses God. Then in verse 38, at at that very hour, the same time, Anna also recognized the child, and she begins to thank God. So here we have two old Jewish saints representing, as it were, the very best Right, the very best of the Old Testament law, which is now giving way to the new because of the Messiah. And the question that I have to ask is, why these two? Right? Right, of all the Jews that might have been chosen to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and take him into their arms and speak of his coming, why these two? Sure, right? Simeon is righteous and devout, it says. It says that he's with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's upon him. And Anna, 
uh, since her husband died, right, she basically lives in the temple. She's worshiping God and fasting, praying night and day. She's always there. They both seem like pretty good people. But I don't think that is why they were chosen to recognize the Messiah. Right? Let's reread two verses, and I think we'll find the reason I think they were chosen. Verse 25, I'm just going to reread it. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now jump down to verse 38. And it says this, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, so why did God choose them? Look at it like this. right? Both Simeon and Anna were fit to recognize Jesus because of their expectation for God to come into this world to console and to redeem his people. Simeon and Anna were expecting the Savior. They were expecting the Messiah, right? the, the chosen one of God. They were expecting uh, Jesus. They, that is why they were able to recognize him, because here's the truth, Boundary Church. Write this one down, right? Here's the truth. If you get nothing else out of this, look at it like this. If you don't know what you're looking for, you can't find it. If you don't know what you're looking for, you just simply can't find it. It reminds me of a story I once heard during a, a tourist excursion at a, a volcano uh, in this canyon in Iceland. A woman was reported missing when she failed to return to the tour bus. All right, so this bus, it pulls up, they go hiking, and they're doing their thing for a couple hours, and all of a sudden this kid or this woman is just missing. The bus driver, he, he's silently like freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. So he waits an entire hour before notifying the, the Icelandic police. Soon after the missing persons report goes out, their search and rescue teams and even a, a, a helicopter arrives to search for the missing woman. There's about 50 people also who are participating in the search on vehicles and by foot all over the trails and at the edge of this volcano. The search, though, was eventually called off when authorities, the police, discovered that the missing woman wasn't really missing. In fact, she was a part of the search party. <laughs> uh, apparently, before re-entering the bus... After the stop at the tour of the, the canyon and the volcano, she changed her clothes and she said she'd do a freshen up a bit, right? And so the other passengers, they didn't recognize her. And the chief of police told reporters that the woman was innocent of the mistake. Uh, eventually, after a few hours, she recognized the description of the missing person as herself. And she had no idea that she was actually missing. <laughs> You see, Simeon and Anna, they knew they were missing, right? That they were missing something, and that something was a savior. And so they, they diligently waited for him to come. And they expected him to be there at any moment. They expected that hope would arrive. And they looked for him. They, they waited for him. They, they expected him. They acted like he was coming. Why? 
Because look at it like this. Preparation increases with expectation. Preparation increases with expectation. You know, every morning I take these vitamins, and on the packet of the vitamins, like a little tear packet thing, it has one of my favorite quotes, actually. And it says, uh, it says uh, don't wait for the iron to be hot, but make the iron hot by striking, right? Just don't wait. Make it hot, right? So it, it's a Yates quote. So it's like it's doing something, right? You don't just sit. You do something in your waiting, right? When the, the Chinese were, were getting ready to host the 2008 Olympics, they had the vision and the expectation to show the entire world that they had become a world power. So in, in the year 2001, when it was announced that they would be by the International Olympic Committee, the, the host of those 2008 games, preparation began immediately, right? By 2007, China had built a new national stadium, a, a, a new national swimming center, a new shooting range. They, they had built a new cycling venue, a new national tennis center. Uh, they built a new national ice hockey stadium. China used more than 15,000 performers for the open ceremonies alone. Of those performers, 2,200 had a small part in demonstrating different martial arts. Right? You might remember seeing all this on TV. Right? That group, they lived and they prepared together in an army camp for three solid months before that opening ceremony, which was just like a couple hours. Right? And they practiced for 16 hours every day. Many of the performers were given diapers to wear during rehearsals so they didn't have to take breaks, that they could just keep practicing. One rehearsal, it stated, lasted 51 hours straight during in and out rainstorms. Now, now, there's much to be said about China's human rights record. That's a different sermon. But I have to admit that they delivered during the open ceremony, didn't they? Right? Remember those Olympics? They had huge expectations. They made tremendous preparations. They did something, and they delivered amazing results. They did something. Right? Have you ever considered how you would prepare for work or how you would prepare for school if you expected Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, to be sitting there when you arrived? Think about that. How, how would you prepare for church if you knew that God Almighty was going to show up and meet you when you got here? Right, how would you spend your time getting ready in the morning if you knew that the Holy Spirit was just waiting to tell you something amazing and powerful and, and, and rooted in truth as soon as you were ready to listen? Right, if you knew you were living in the last days, would you do things differently? If we had such expectations, Foundry Church, what would be different? Surely it would affect our preparations for each season and even each day, maybe even each hour. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that Jesus will be at work and he'll be at school when we arrive this week. He's with us, right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. God is always ready to meet us when we reach out to him as we forge a lifelong reliance on him. God's word is alive and it's, it's active and God is willing to speak to us if we're willing to read and to listen. Right? We can be certain that all of us 
are all in our individual last days, regardless of how long it takes Jesus to return. Perhaps knowing that Emmanuel, God with us, is now with us as well, was here with us yesterday, he'll be with us uh, tomorrow, should change the way we prepare for the new year. Right? Understanding that should change the way that we prepare for school, for church, and even tomorrow morning. So the question that I want to leave with all of us today as we're in this liminal moment between ending a year and, and beginning a new year is this. How are we expecting? How are we expecting? I mean, just take a second to look around at your life. Is it hurried? Is it boring? Is it complacent? Is it just humdrum, mundane? Do you feel like you're just going through the motions? You've given in to convenience and not making a difference, not doing anything. You're just like, I'm waiting, but I'm going to wait. Like my mom told me when I was little and we went into stores, like I had to keep my hands in my pockets, right? You aren't looking forward to tomorrow because tomorrow the same thing will happen as today. It's just going to happen again. You're not expecting that you have this, this Jesus who says, I have come to give you life, life to the full, abundant, aggressive, just adventurous life, not the perfect life, not an easy life, but a life that is rooted in who I am, a life of power, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life that is going to make a difference for you and everyone you come in contact with. Are we expecting that? So what would happen if we started expecting tomorrow to be different? What would happen if we could expect Jesus to show up with us? He says he will. How would that change things? Now, I, I, I'm not going to stand up here and say, if you expect God to bring you every desire, just hold out your hands and he's going to give it to you. Right? God's not Santa Claus. Right? <laughs> what I am going to say, though, is this, is that you can rejoice. You can be happy in your expectant waiting especially when you do something with it. Because the same promise that God made to his people in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus that first time, he makes to us too. Right? He says this, he, he's coming back to bring his people home. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He's already dealt with that. Right? He's already dealt with our sin. We just got to accept his free gift of grace. So not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. You see, Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection has done what no other sacrifice could do. Again, that's why we're not bringing doves up in here. Right? <laughs> and through his perfect humility and obedience, even to death on a cross, he paid for our sins and he reconciled us, Foundry Church, to God. And those who trust in him while they wait, who forge their life on him from top to bottom while they wait, those who expect his return, the culmination of the gospel, those who forge life can be sure they're never out of his sight. As the psalmist says, it's like he's sitting in, we're sitting under the shadow of his wings. We're never out of his sight, never away from his presence, and never absent from his thoughts. 
Author Christopher Ash once said, we praise not because the present is easy, but because the future is glorious. That's why we praise. That's why we worship. That's why we gather. That's why we do church together. We have a promise like Simeon and Anna that that as we live this life, we can expect that God is preparing a place for us in the next life, and that is something worth expecting and worth, uh, worth telling about and helping others to achieve as well. That's something worth preparing for. And so as the, as the band comes back up here, let me be clear about something. It's so important that we remember our presentation is not, our, 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 our preparation is not our salvation, nor it's our rescue. Right? It's, it's, not, uh, it's not what we do that's going to save us. It's not our rescue. Rather, our, our preparation is our response to what Jesus has already done for us and in us. You know, it, it, one of my favorite movies is the Me, Captain Phillips. It stars Tom Hanks. It was released a while ago. You'll remember it, right? Uh, it's based on the true story of how uh, Somali pirates commandeered a cargo ship piloted by Captain Phillips, Tom Hanks' character. Right, you guys seen the movie? Right, through a series of events, the captain, he convinces his, his captors, the pirates, to let his crew go while he and the pirates leave the cargo ship together on the, uh, on the lifeboat, this enclosed lifeboat. And the pirates, then they, they promptly, uh, they make a beeline with the lifeboat for the coast of Somalia, looking to cash in on, on their, their captive, on this captain. And one of the best moments in the film One of the best moments in the film and the moment that had to be one of the the best moments for the real life Captain Phillips, for his real life in in this story, is when out of the darkness, they're in this enclosed cargo or in this enclosed lifeboat, out of the darkness, the horns uh, blare from the USS Bainbridge. They thunder, these horns, the the sirens, they thunder through the sea and the floodlights from the ship, this this Navy ship, illuminate the ocean and the lifeboat. You can see the relief just wash over Captain Phillips' face. Right in the movie, and I'm sure in real life it's just the same. The USS Brainbridge is one of 46 guided missile destroyers that is in the US Navy with massive guns, missile capabilities to destroy more than 100 targets at the same exact time. And when this thing comes roaring in onto the scene, when the brain bridge comes to the rescue, you know the pirates are in trouble and the real hope has finally arrived. I'm watching this, I'm thinking, man, I would hate to be on the wrong side of the US Navy. Right, well, one thing I hope we understand about our expectation in this moment of, of ending a year and beginning a new year and of Christmas and, and New Year's Day was, is that it is a downright rescue mission. That's what our king did. It was a downright rescue mission. He comes roaring into the scene as a baby. And the one who came to our rescue wasn't some outgunned, outclassed, and hopeless underdog. The one who comes to our rescue is Emmanuel, God with us, who had the power and the authority, even as a baby, to call down all the angels of heaven for his purpose and for his desire. The ancient one, like we read, like Paul wrote about, 
humbled himself to become fully man because we were the hostages being held captive by sin. Christmas was the beginning of a rescue mission that was conceived and carried out on the behalf of no one other than our God himself, the God that we forge our life on. But listen, the mission's not over. Jesus is coming again. I'm not expecting things to fall apart. I'm not preparing to be defeated. I'm waiting expectantly for God to come through for you and for me each and every moment as we forge our life on him. Even when we we mess it up and we forge our life on everything but him, he's still, hey, I'm with you. I love you. So I'm waiting expectantly and with purpose and with something to do for Jesus, my King, to be revealed in my life. I'm waiting expectantly knowing that he's preparing for me in heaven a place that he's chiseling away even now at the hardness of my heart. I'm waiting expectantly for the plans he has for you, for me, and for this church. I'm waiting expectantly by doing what he's called me to do. I'm waiting expectantly for our king, for his kingdom to advance. I'm waiting expectantly for the lost to be found and the blind to see. I'm waiting expectantly for his love to be known to a hurting and dying world through you. As your disciples who make disciples, you forge your life on God and you guide others to do the same, your kids, your neighbors, your family. We're waiting expectantly. our king is the king of kings he's the lord of lords and he's called us to a task so i'm waiting expectantly for jesus to return and to claim his bride the church and our best response our best action is to prepare in great expectation of the realization of all that Jesus has accomplished when we see him at the second advent. We will worship him. The defeater of death, the defeater of sin, our God, our Lord, our King, Jesus.